In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 357. That's right. We are talking several different things. Mark, you want to tell people what we're talking about tonight? Because this actually is a Green Lantern podcast, so the first thing we're going to be talking about will be the Green Lantern number six uh, by Morrison and Sharp, which seemingly wraps up that whole Controller Mew thing, which I guess we'll talk about that aspect of it, too. Uh, so we're going to begin with that. We're going to talk about Shazam, since both Chad and I have seen Shazam now. Uh, we're going to be talking about, what was it, The Fatal Five? What is it? Justice League versus The Fatal Five, yes. So we're going to be talking about that animated movie briefly, because I haven't seen it, but Chad bought it and has seen it. So we're going to mention that. We're going to play and talk about the Star Wars Episode 9 trailer, the teaser trailer, which of course is no surprise that we'll do that. Maybe a few little Avengers tidbits, and then finally, in case for those who do not want to... I think we're going to be pretty light treading into spoiler territory, what there was to be spoilery in Episode 1 of Game of Thrones, but we will be talking about Game of Thrones probably as the... That will be our final topic to wrap up the show, so when we finish... uh, Anything about the Avengers, and we tell you we're talking about Game of Thrones. If you don't want to even run the risk of getting any information that you don't want yet, then that would be the part of the episode probably to just say goodnight on. (laughs) But in the meantime, you're going to give us a review of number six, though, right? Yes, I'm going to do number six. Here's the disclaimer, which I think I said last time probably, too, or one of the other times when we've done this. I've only read this once before opening this again, and I did read it today, though, so it's not like I read it like a week ago or whatever, but I'm going to do my best to to be accurate here. I'm sure Chad will save me if I screw up dramatically, but I'm also going to try to be succinct because we do have a lot of things on the plate, and also because I think for the most part, I think, hopefully you'll agree that this is similar to the last issue where this issue is pretty, is relatively straightforward, for the most part. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's not the it's more like yeah it's it's the arc ended in a different way than it began with from the Mars the way Morrison wrote it which is not you know a criticism at all uh, oh damn, I had a window open that I really needed but I I will maybe you'll save me at the end or I'll bring it back up again related to the end of the this issue I had a tab open regarding it and I just realized I closed the entire browser earlier alrighty so here is. Green Lantern and the number six, Under Strange Skies, which is an appropriate title, considering where we left off last issue. So, Space Sector 2814, Alpha Centauri 4, Planet Ran, yada yada, exactly where we left off last issue, where Hal, otherwise known as what, Black Star Parallax, 
has been ordered to kill Adam Strange. Now, Hal kind of buys himself a little bit of time by saying, I'm not going to kill an unarmed opponent, make it a fair contest, and I'll do it. <laughs> that really doesn't make Adam Strange feel particularly better about the situation. Uh, Belzebeth says, okay, that's fine. She has no issue with that. We cut over to – this is probably one of the biggest or the one of the – if not the heaviest – one of the heaviest uh, Controller Mew issues, I would say, in this whole arc. So we have Controller Mew pretty much uh, – explaining and trying to get uh, Rand to more or less sign up, sign up and come over to his side of things. The Mew World Order, right, Chad? Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially. Uh, and try, I like the way he's, tries to, he's trying to make it sound like he's not threatening them when he really is threatening them. Uh, Adam Strange's wife kind of – they push back a little bit knowing that seemingly right now the uh, Sun Eaters are off the table. As a major threat, and that's obviously what the uh, what the Black Stars and Mew were using as their primary uh, quote unquote leverage to get people to uh, when they they were coercing them to join or die. That was the main thing. Mew kind of points out, well, I have you know that's not that's not the only thing I have that I can use against you, and I you know there are things that are much much more you know things the cosmos would surely breed new monsters stronger and more terrible and everything like that so he continues to play head games meanwhile while he's while he's rambling on and he talks about how basically adam strange is about to buy it at the hands of how we have more or less like an old-fashioned duel with hal and adam strange back to back going to do their 10 paces and only after they reach 10 paces can their weapons fire Strange keeps trying to talk to Hal, and Hal keeps telling him pretty much to be quiet, just don't say anything. You can see Hal's not really keen on what he's doing here. They they uh, they count to ten, they turn around and shoot. Adam Strange pretty much just hit, hits like a grazing shot at Hal because uh, he really couldn't bring himself to shoot Hal to try to kill him. Hal you know bla- blasts him in the chest, and Adam Strange collapses. Seemingly he's dead. At that so Hal. Seemingly, again, the, the episode, the word for today is seemingly, that it looks like Hal did exactly what Mew and Belzebeth wanted them to do, and Belzebeth is congratulating Hal, you know, for that, you know, there's more to you than we thought, and meanwhile, Mew is kind of putting the screws over to, onto uh, Adam Strange, Adam Strange's wife there, about, you know, your child could be next, everything that matters could follow, pretty much just surrender and, and, and go along with us, uh, Meanwhile, Hal keeps getting Hal keeps getting berated here, you know, for turning on Doc, for turning on Strange. You know, you're you're Rand's Green Lantern. You're a policeman. Uh, Hal, he winks, right? That's what he's trying to do. At that, yeah. that last panel, that he's trying to yeah. wink to get the, to get up the point across that things are not again not all as they seem. Adam Strange is taken away. Basically, they're going to harvest his organ, organs because nothing gets wasted on Rand. Uh, as his wife continues to cry, Belzebeth, you know, talks to Hal, saying, uh, you know, uh, it was like, uh, now you've earned your private audience with Control the Mew. Uh, we get a little explanation for why they're calling themselves the Black Stars, other than the fact, that, like as Hal points out, it does sound, it does sound uh, better than Dark Stars. And she, Belzebeth, points out that Black is absolute, like the vision of Control the Mew. One of the most annoying things about Control the Mew is he, is he speaks in the third person. That's almost never a good thing. It's almost always annoying. Uh, but we get a lot of that in this issue. Uh, 
she's flying off with Hal, to, uh, escorting him to for his meeting, and she points out that you know, just as you never worked out the nature of the ultimate will-powered weapon, it is us. He provides he provides purpose. We supply power. We are Mew's will to action. <laughs> now we see Mew in his mad scientist garb, pretty much, uh, and he points out that uh, well, that of, of all of the five components he needs to basically to assemble his ultimate asset. You know, three have been secured, uh, and, the, and those remaining are within his grasp. He does, however, point out that one of those, <laughs> the fourth component, the Green Lantern ring that Hal basically turned over when he joined up, isn't really working out the way he thought it was going to. He can't really access his full uh, power. It unlock all its secrets. Hal blames on the Guardians, saying, you know, it's the Guardians. They probably detected that, uh, that big, you know, in case, you know, they put a failsafe in in case it falls into the wrong hands and everything else. Uh, Adam Strange, at this point, we discover, you know, he, he pretty much was just hit with a plasma construct. The plasma construct injuries were made by Hal to, you know, to look like he was he was really mortally wounded when he when he really wasn't. Hal basically put him in a fake put him in a coma to fake his death. And uh, then Adam gets, you know, gets informed that the, their daughter Aaliyah, that the rat, uh, the monsters pretty much took her. Hal and Mew have this conversation. We kind of find out at this point that Mew really, not surprisingly, he knows all along that, or knew all along that Hal pretty much is being sent to go undercover by the Guardians, that this is no great surprise, that his job is to basically kill, new, kill Mew and neutralize the threat. And Mew kind of, again, his is. His ego takes over, and it's like, you're a black star, you're an extension of, my, of Mew's desire, not mine, Mew's desire, an agent of Mew's agenda. And all that is required of a black star is absolute, unconditional accordance. And now we find out that basically he's de- he has developed what the, the, the U-bomb, you know, the uh, kind of like the ultimate weapon here, that... Uh, the ultimate bomb, the U-bomb, and pretty much he tells Hal that, hey, you know, uh, when the when the, the U-bomb detonates, you know, Mew dies. As you, so he's willing to take everybody out with his ultimate weapon. It's like, hey, you can fulfill your mission, but pretty much I'm going to wipe out the entire universe in the process. Adam Strange shows up at this moment, and Hal's trying to talk him out, you know, just to, to not shoot him. Uh, Adam Strange kind of doesn't. Yeah, he actually doesn't, He but... <laughs> <laughs> but but his wife sure does and, bl- and blows his head off. At this point, the, you know the the ultimate you know, that U bomb is basically in the process of counting down in its own way to explode. Hal Hal get you know gets contacted by the Guardians and they pretty much tell him, hey, using the using the Avengers line of the trailer, whatever it takes. <laughs> it's like whatever it takes, you have to, you have to contain this. You have to take care of this. Uh, we are diverting all the power from the you need from the central power battery. You know, disarm the U bomb. Total annihilation. I like that. And Hal's like, now nah, you tell me. Lucky for you, I have a better idea. Uh, we don't really see what happens here. We kind of see birds flying in the sky. We get a wrap up from Adam Strange that pretty much there was like an en- a massive energy output. Green Lan- Green Lantern rings pretty much flickered and went dim across the universe. And then all of a then the U bomb was gone along with Hal. He was gone too. Uh, and so he he's kind of like thanking Hal for everything he did, and Adam Strange is about to go hug his wife and his child. And of course, his Zeta beam is wearing off and gets returned to Earth. And uh, 
just like that. He's gone. May he return again. We see a Green Lantern ring floating in space, which, of course, we've kind of... This, re- this refers to a few things regarding uh, things that have happened before. Uh, so we get a close-up of the ring. Then we go inside the ring, and we see Hal, Hal's kind of walking around, saying, like, like I said, first, you know, first I remember him hauling ass through a dust storm, you know, green, like... You know, ground up wine bottles and then there's some job I have to do that's vitally important but I, I can't pretty much can't remember what it is it's like you're the first person I've seen since I followed this road out of the desert I was hoping for some direction and this you know short little figure wearing a hat points out that you know uh, he kind of he, he kind of sends him on his way call, call towards what he calls you know emerald sands and he says and when they ask who sent you then enlighten them and say mirror widden which, of course, that's the tab I had open about Mere Widden, which I have to reopen. Um, but thus ends issue six. Yeah, uh, Mere Widden from, uh, I think it was 26, Green Lantern 26, uh, from the Silver Age. A, uh, a old foe of Avon Sur that had been caught in the ring, and when uh, Avon died and passed his ring on, of course, so... Uh, uh, Hal in- inherited a little magical imp of his own, uh, sort of, <laughs> sort of like uh, M- M- uh, Mr. Mixie's Pitlick. Yeah. However, you're supposed to say it. Mitzpalik or something like that. I'm not sure if Merwidden is the exact because I believe the, um, I believe Batmite and Mixie's Pitlick and some of the others. Uh, what is um, what is Martian Manhunters? Little imp called. Oh, I, I know he has one. Um, but anyways, um, I believe they're all from the the fifth dimension. I'm not sure if Merwin is also a fifth dimensional imp, but he might as well be. Um, so cool to see, cool to see him back like that. Um, controller move, definitely not dead, right? Yeah, I would say that he got his head blown off a tad, a tad too easily. Uh, in fact, I would say I, the issue is a nice read, and, and and again, it's it's by as an issue, it's cool. I think it's I think it's kind of a lame wrap up to the arc, though. Yeah, I think it's a. I hate to phrase it. That I I think it's something. It's kind of a, an abrupt, unsatisfying ending, kind of like what we got unfor- unfortunately a lot during the Venditti run. About sticking landing, yeah. how we always said that this was, this story was. I enjoyed where the story was story was going, but because of the way it wrapped up so completely, seemingly, word of the episode again, that it seemed to wrap up so quickly and just boom, boom, boom. Now we looks like we're moving on to a different arc. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I think that that landing was not st- stuck, despite how cool and how. The issue flowed, and the art was really good, and, I, and I, there are lots of things I like about this issue. So as an issue, I liked it as as a release. Well, I mean, I mean, assuming assuming this is a traditional story arc, this may not be. This, I mean, will it be collected probably in six issue trades? Probably, but I don't think Morrison is is writing it like a six issue story arc. That's probably true, but we because it's, it's not like it's not like these six issues have been very linear to begin with. No, no, but we also know the Green Arrow thing's coming soon, so it doesn't yeah. look, so it doesn't look like the Black Stars are going to be and Mew are going to be something that at least on the surface are, we're going to be dealing with immediately after this issue for at least for, but we'll see. 
We also have multiverse fun coming up. Yes. So. Um, I mean, honestly, not a to- whole ton of stuff to dissect here. How do you feel about being reintroduced to Ran and Strange and Alana and Leah and uh, Alana's father and, and all that stuff? It was. I mean, it's nice. I don't have a huge tie to the whole Adam Strange thing. I don't have any. But but as far as giving you another, and especially if you're not, maybe in a, look at it from this perspective. If you're if you don't have a huge amount of tie to that world and the way things work and the interaction, it it kind of gives it kind of gives you a nice enough you know opening the door, op, uh, opening the window a tad to peer through to get an idea that hey, you know this is you get you learn you know just like get glimpses into their society and the way they work and so I I did like that I. Again, did, did it did it impact? It only impacted me from the perspective of like, and this could have been almost any hero that we know that Hal knows, to just the position they put Hal in at the end of last issue, that he was gonna that he was being being basically forced to kill somebody who we, who we obviously should never even think about killing to prove his loyalty to the cause that he's defecting to. So yeah. I was, you know, I was hoping I'd be caught up on Adam Strange by this time. By the time this issue came out, because they've been putting out a lot of Silver Age trade paperbacks lately, with kind of like a checkerboard design. Like for instance, if you look up like um, uh, the Hawk and the Dove uh, Silver Age trade paperback, you'll you'll see what I'm talking about in terms of uh, the design um, and things like that. They they put out. And Adam Strange, the Silver Age Volume One trade paperback, and I've had it on my Amazon wish list forever, but it is constantly showing as currently unavailable. We don't know when or if this item will be back in stock over on Amazon. And I've got, I mean, I've got different wish lists over on Amazon, like, but I have one that's just for comic books, and that Adam Strange one has just been sitting on this list forever, and it's. Every time I check, man, it's not in stock, so it's a pain in the butt. But I, I was, uh, I was kind of hoping I'd be caught up on Adam Strange by this because when I saw Adam Strange was gonna was on the cover, which I really like the cover by the way, um, uh, I, I was hoping that by that point I would have finally had that that trade paperback in my collection. But I'm gonna have to go digging around local shops or used bookstores or something to see if it's around here somewhere because Amazon sure as hell doesn't have it. <clears throat> yeah, that does happen sometimes, unfortunately. And it just came out. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like a an older release that is now discontinued. It's it's a recent release, but it it's it's sold out or I don't know what, but regardless, um, it's cool going back to Ran. I like the whole Zeta Beam stuff, and you know it's all. And this is why I was hoping I would have read more by, about Adam Strange in the first place, is because the Zeta thing always seemed just like a convenient plot point. You know what I mean? Like, oh, now it's time for him to fade away. When will he be back again? We don't know. Like. You know, that, that always seems sort of weird to me. But having never read the source material, uh, how, you know, how much can I really complain about it if I don't know how it was originally used and introduced in the first place? But it seems like Morrison is going back and, you know, trying to research and pull all these little gems from the Silver Age into this story. So I'm assuming he's using the plot point of the Zeta disappearance that happens to Strange every now and then in the exact same methodology they would have used it in the Silver Age. 
That's a good observation. Uh, I, I do. I I will admit, through the first six issues, it it is a nice touch that Grant Morrison is kind of like mining for things, you know, uh, the way he is. Uh, probably even more so than Jeff Johns was. Obviously, Jeff Johns went back and dug up a lot of stuff in when when he first started the uh, take when he took over Green Lantern after uh, Rebirth, but. And and to be fair, we've seen we've seen little bits of this before, we, especially with uh, Green Lantern Corps, with Van Jensen uh, mining the past too. So I, it's especially when you they come up with some of the obscure characters, like we talked about with the, uh, which related to that Silver Age issue with what the bowler the Bowlers, whatever the bowlers whatever, and um, so that was oh Bowers the Bowers yeah. yes the Bowers and the the Mike uh, the Mikrids. Uh, that yeah, I like that. I think I think I think it's a nice touch. For sure. Otherwise, it was pretty straightforward. I'm wondering how much is this the magical at the end of the story? Is this the magical world that uh, Merwin was originally a part of within the ring? Is this? Uh, Emerald Space is this uh, one of the worlds in the ring? Is this tied into the multiverse somehow? I, I just where specifically are we going with this world inside of a ring thing? So yeah, I know it's it's tough. It's it's a really hard sell because of the fact that I mean, first of all, he was in a he was in Abensur's original ring, which Hal, of course, clearly for a long time has never has not had that ring. Uh, he technically was imprisoned by the Guardians around the time of uh, what Api Apaala there, uh, as they mentioned that in when he began merging the minds with the prisoners or whatever that uh, that as at that time uh, he technically Merwidden was still technically a prisoner on Oa, and obviously we know how he created this ring himself at a ring at a willpower, so. Unless you know he doesn't have that ring right now, when they were redoing the AI and everything else after Cyborg Superman, but but there's no reason to think he doesn't have the same the same ring. I think so, but we'll see. I guess obviously we'll get we'll get a little more explanation of that probably next issue. I would assume. Um, my last thought would be. Um, yeah. Uh, controller Moo saying Moo is the controller, you are the controlled. It makes me wonder if everybody who's a black star is just merely a portal for Moo to uh, access. Kind of like they are his rings. They are in the, um, the embodiment of what he wants to do. So maybe, I don't know if he has transformative abilities. He can jump from body to body and transform the body to look like himself. Maybe that what, what we saw wasn't really Moo. It was just the particular body his mind was occupying at the time. It's like after he quote unquote dies, it almost looks like the other black star, the countess, um, her face starts transforming somewhat. So I, I don't know. Yeah, that is true. Maybe he just, maybe he's got a little Ultron in him on that level. Yeah, but that's about all I had for this issue. It was very straightforward, which is kind of like I kind of um, 
unexpected for a Grant Morrison issue, but also like a nice sigh of relief uh, in regards of it. You know, you see on the cover, it's Adam Strange versus Green Lantern. You're, you kind of hope for a little bit more straightforward of a story. And uh, kind of we got what we hoped for, at least I, I got what I hoped for, so can't complain too much. No, not at all. Uh, as, an, like, as an issue, like I said, as the actual story in the issue, I don't think you can really complain. The only door or window to complain is just the fact that, again, as far as a resolution to this whole arc and the way things are being built up, it, it feels very unsatisfying on that level, and it feels very and a very abrupt, a very abrupt ending. Um, kind of like like speaking of the cyborg Superman thing, just kind of like oh he flies off, just like a Volthoom. Like oh he's gone. It's like oh we're just letting yeah. him leave. It's like oh okay. So. The art I really enjoyed, um, but uh, I've said it before. I've said it again. This is, I'll say it again. This is this is not a, a, a dig at uh, Liam Sharp, but just I've said it before. I don't like white wasted space. And there's a lot of, of panels and stuff where you're just focused on the character, and there's not a whole lot of anything happening at all in the background. I think that's a fair criticism. Yeah. But, I mean, otherwise, I mean, even, even when there's not a lot of it in the background, the art looks great. It's just I don't like wasted space in the background. So that's, that's it. Uh, anything else? No, I think that's. I think that sufficiently wraps up that uh, that arc or that issue review. Uh, all right, what's next? Uh, Shazam is next. If I I have my list correctly. Shazam! I saw it uh, Thursday, not Thursday, Friday, opening night. Um, uh, technically, the real opening night. Um. Yeah, I saw it. I enjoyed it. I thought it struck that perfect balance. Um, uh, that it that it was, uh, you know, uh, the the whole time hyping it up on the way into it. Well, I was just saying, you know, it, it's got to really strike this perfect chord of uh, the same way the character itself did. You gotta you gotta find that perfect uh, mediation point between something that can entertain a, a fully grown adult and everything and, and be a, a good action story and a good superhero story. But you also have to kind of bring in not just the fact that this is a, a kid in an adult's body, but the sort of embody, you got to embody that sort of glee and that wish fulfillment and that naivete that kind of comes with that story. And I thought they, they walked that line pretty well. Was it, was it a fantastic movie with fantastic comedy and amazing action sequences? No, there's, there were some times I thought I thought some some of the either the comedy or some of the visuals came across as a little bit cheesy or on the nose, but um, maybe that was the intent, and maybe I just you know wasn't ready for it to go full tilt that way at that particular moment. But I enjoyed it, you know, start, start to finish. I thought the action was pretty great. I thought the the use of the magic was pretty good, and I, I didn't I didn't see or really feel of anybody in the theater having a negative reaction to it, I thought it was really enjoyable. It was enjoyable. I I probably liked it a tad more than I than I kind of expected to overall. Not that I thought I was going to dislike it. I just... I certainly liked it better more than Captain Marvel. <laughs> it's a more enjoyable... It's a, a out-and-out more enjoyable movie, I think, than Captain Marvel. And not just because the tone is obviously lighter. But I just mean... It just feels more... It just feels more satisfying, and even some of the themes that they're dealing with. Uh, obviously, Mark Strong pretty much can do no wrong. 
So mm-hmm. he is really, really, really good. So uh, t- playing playing a, a a villain, a character that would have been that would have been real easy to not really even remember. And he comes and he does you know he does a lot with that character considering. Uh, I guess I was on one level. I guess I would have wanted to see more of the Black Adam tease afterwards, like in the credits, maybe. Right. But because in the, of the because there's seven seats, right? There's seven seats in the quote unquote lair, and there's only six of them, right? There's him and the five kids. Yeah, I believe so. So is the based on my limited overall Shazam knowledge? Is is the seven seats supposed to be for Black Adam's character? Or what would be that power? I believe so. Um, because the only time I remember seeing the Council of Shazam or the Council of Wizards, however you want to call it, it was right. It was. Um, was it during Forever Evil when uh, that Pandora book and then the Trinity of Sin book was coming out? Because it was the question, the Phantom Stranger, and Pandora. There was a Trinity of Sin book. There was the Phantom Stranger book. There wasn't a question book. I know there was a Pandora book. I'm pretty sure. Or was it... Phantom Stranger for sure had his own series. Because I talked to Dan DeDio about that. Uh, the Trinity of Sin was definitely its own thing. I just can't remember. It was one of those one of those books. Uh, you got a lot. You got a lot of uh, glimpses at... Uh, at, Shaz- at the, the the Council of Wizards uh, before Shazam was left all by his lonesome. So, uh, but I believe one of them was kind of a uh, a darker individual. That's what that's what I just assumed to begin with in the watching the movie that and based on which I which I also was a little disappointed about that nobody that they didn't mention that that also would have that alone would have been a good segue almost as a teaser. The fact that there's seven chairs, right? There's seven seats, and now after he gave the power, or let the, you know, basically shared the power with the kids, that there's only six. So you would think that'd be a logical question to ask: Who's the seventh seat for? Uh, but that's that's being you know that's just probably what I would have liked to have seen. Again, you have to. It was it was it was enjoyable. It was. I mean, it wasn't that surprising. I don't know if there's anything in the movie that was that surprising, but it was. And from a box office, I mean, go ahead. You say what? Go ahead. Yeah, there was a there was a there was one moment that sort of stood out to me when they were at the carnival towards that in fight sequence. Um, Mary, she says uh, something about to the other kids. She says something about we have to get the sins out of him. How does she know that they are referred to as the sins? She, she. There was no point in that movie where she, in terms of the at least the cut that we received in the theater, the theatrical cut that we watched, there was no exposition in front of her that would have uh, explained that those are the sins. So I don't know how she referred to them as the sins or why. I'm assuming that there's going to be some deleted scenes and stuff once it hits Blu-ray. But uh, I, I, I definitely feel that there was a couple of things that pacing-wise, I was like, we're, we're sort of missing something here. Uh, and it was like a very subtle feeling I got. But it, when when Mary referred to them as the sins, I was like, wait a sec, we're missing something here. How did she know that those are the sins? 
So that that was uh, something. And speaking of Mary, that the girl who plays Mary is is gorgeous. Um, I think her name is it's Grace something. Uh, Grace, I'll look it up. Uh, Shazam cast. Oh, Grace Fulton. Um, but the the woman who played her her quote unquote adult form was. Uh, I don't know. It, it, it made it seem like she was not like, uh, you know, it, it made her seem like she was older and not necessarily like her idealized self. I, I don't know. Did you get that feeling? Maybe maybe a little. I, I was – speaking of gorgeous, I was more – and this is this is a failure on my part because if I knew this, which I probably did at some point, I zoned out. I didn't know Megan Good was was in this was supposed to be in this movie until they did the transformation and she became Darla's Darla's uh, avatar, if you will. Uh, so, with the super speed, that right? Yeah. So I, I, I think I can see a little bit of what you're saying. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was. I enjoyed it though. I think it was. I thought it. It was one of the more. Just by and it was supposed to be one of the more just out and out fun DC movies that we've seen. Uh, it's done okay financially. It hasn't done great. It's. It's people have compared it to what Ant Man kind of like. It's kind of like the. That the it's not just tone wise in a way, but just what the but box office wise, what the comparison except. Ant-Man is probably going to end up making a hell of a lot more overall domestically and overseas based on where what Shazam's brought in so far. Especially since Shazam pretty much has one more week and then it's whatever's and then everything's going to be blown out of the water. <laughs> uh, so, but it was good. We'll see. We'll see if it if it won't. the thing that helps Shazam is it, it had a very relatively, of course, in the real world, it's a ton of money. But for movies, it's not these days. It had a relatively small budget, certainly for a DC movie. It was a, like a $100 million budget, which means it's already, based on the typical multipliers, it's already made enough. It's already made more than twice its production budget back. So it actually turning a profit shouldn't should be, if it isn't already, it should be a foregone conclusion that it will. So the question is how much more they invest to, to do a sequel. Obviously, having Black Adam in the sequel would be a smart move, I think. Um, yeah. But... But we will see. It seems like they still might be going ahead with a Black Adam movie first, which I don't necessarily know if that's a good idea. But it might be. But it might depend on who Black Adam is dealing with. You know. Yeah. I I I, uh, I, I like the surprise because it was a surprise to me. The surprise appearance of John Glover as uh, as uh, Savannah's dad in the flashback. Oh yeah, that's true. And, too. and of course, that in, is true. And yeah. I, I, I enjoyed him because that was a uh, guy's. Of course, that was uh, Lex Luthor's father in Smallville, Lionel Luthor. Uh, I always like. I've always liked John Glover and Batman. Batman and Robin, right? He's the one who created Bane. <laughs> yes, uh, he was. Um, oh, I forget the real name, but uh, his character, uh, Jason Jason Bordreau, uh He uh, the Floronic Man. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, uh, the Floronic Man in DC Comics. Uh, that's who his character was supposed to be. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I, obviously, I don't think we'll 
be making a big deal out of it. It wasn't like an amazing film, but it was definitely really enjoyable. And I, I think I agree with you. I, I think I enjoyed it more than Captain Marvel, but I, I, I did enjoy both films. And they're completely different tones. They're supposed to be different. Yeah. They're, so right. it's it's definitely not an apples to apples comparison, and nor nor should there really be for this. But that being that being said, based on I think more I think the the audiences seem to have certainly have taken to I think Shazam a little bit more, and the credit I think overall the critics have too taken to Shazam right. more. So that's a plus. I mean, it's that that's certainly a plus. That's not something that. Like DC hasn't, other than Wonder Woman, DC's had a hard time getting everything to fall into place for the for the audience likes it, the critics like it, and it makes a lot of money. They've, they they right. seem to have really struggled with that. You know, Aquaman, the fans seem to like it for the most part. The critics really didn't like it all that much, and it made a good amount, really made a lot of money. And Shazam, you know, everybody likes it, but it's probably not going to make a crap ton of money overall. But Again, because you're, you're not exactly putting out an A-tier character, it, you can't necessarily expect it to make you know, tons of money. Sometimes we get sometimes you get spoiled and you think you can just you know turn anything into gold and it doesn't and it doesn't work. Even Marvel can't entirely do that. You know, Ant Man has kind of proven that that Ant Man has you know there's still a relative. I mean, their their floor is rising because obviously Ant Man and the Wasp made a significant amount more money than Ant Man did. But you can't just keep throwing it against the wall. Even with Marvel, that's not always going to work. I mean, you can't friggin' you can't open like the master of kung fu and expect you're going to make a hundred million dollar opening weekend. You know, right. it's, it's not likely. It's not very likely. The more the more obscure characters you pull out, and unless there's another draw, yeah, it may be successful. People might like it, but you. But again, that's where again the budget constraints factor in too you you make sure your budget is reasonable then you don't have to make friggin 500 million dollars at least worldwide to to know you're in to in the black so yeah i'll be curious to see how it performs it's not like it was up against anything super huge either and of course i mean the only other superhero movie it could have gone up against obviously bombed so yes it 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 did i mean it, on that level it did dodge a couple of bullets uh no pun intended to that uh based on the, what happens in the movie the yeah it opened up against pet cemetery and pet cemetery didn't that did not do as well either that underachieved and clearly hellboy which which really isn't that surprising cuz the original two hellboy movies didn't make a whole crap ton of money either it's a, it's it's a niche audience it's not a mainstream Kind of like uh, Judge Dredd, for that matter. You know, it's just it's just not. It may could you ever come up with something where it could be mainstream enough to have a you know maybe possibly, but it's doubtful. It's it's a niche character. So to have so to think Hellboy was going to make tons of money. Yeah, it made less than they thought. So it did help. That, you know, it did help that you know Shazam had that working in its favor. So I think that overall that. I think I think Warner Brothers has to be happy with it overall. I'm I'm, I'm looking at I'm looking at the the numbers now. That's as we speak. It's made with nine. It's made 96 million dollars domestically. It's made 164 million overseas. So 260 plus worldwide. Almost 260.5 million worldwide. Production budget 100. What was it? Yeah, production okay, budget I was, was, I was just about to ask. Yeah, it's 100. It's 100. So it's so based on. 
even if you want to use a multiplier where it has to end up doing three times its production budget, which I doubt it's going to have to, it's it's probably going to do that. It's probably going to make over three hundred million. Uh, but so it's going to be successful. I think it's. I think overall they're probably happy with it. They may not be happy with as much money overseas because maybe they got spoiled a little, like especially in China, how much money Aquaman made over in China versus how in the sliding scale how little Shazam is made. But you can't really complain. I, you're probably going to end up with a, you're probably going to end up somewhere like around a three hundred million dollar cumulative worldwide, at least. Well, maybe not at least, but that's probably realistic still at this point, depending what it does this weekend, since this will be its last weekend to really make bank around the world. Because once Endgame comes out, everybody's going to be. So we'll see. Uh, I think it's, but I think they should. They overall should be happy with it. I think it's. It's not a tremendous opening. It made what, like fifty-three million about, and fifty-six if you add in the money from the from the previews that they had released uh, in advance. Again, that's not great because remember, you know, Green Lantern made like like fifty two million dollars or something on its opening weekend like eight years ago. So if you did the, if you adjusted for inflation, there'd be no comparison. The Green Lantern would have made would this Green Lantern would have made a hell of a lot more money in t- today's market, even with the same number of viewers. So, but so I think they overall, I think DC pretty much has, and Warner Brothers got what they wanted out of this. I think it's it, they've I think the character is certainly viable enough. To revisit and doing another, if they want to do another individual Shazam movie, they probably can do it. But I, but it's one of those things where you you probably want to keep the budget under control because you because you don't you can't necessarily count exponentially that. But you can use Ant Man probably as a model to say well maybe you know maybe you can increase your box office by about the same amount like I forget what Ant Man did like maybe like maybe like twenty maybe like twenty five or twenty million more the sequel did. Uh, somewhere in that range, that you just got to keep that un- keep that under you know, under advisement in, in your thoughts that you don't want to go too crazy with the budget just because again it's not a Batman or Superman where you you know even if it sucks you're going to be pulling in like five hundred million dollars worldwide. Yeah. All right. What's next? You're next, my friend. I am next. All right. So this morning I woke up. And uh, I had a a reminder go off on my phone to head over to Walmart to pick up the uh, to pick up glass on Blu-ray. Why specifically Walmart? Well, Walmart uh, is the only people the only uh, retailer currently that is selling glass split and unbreakable in a Blu-ray three pack. Uh, Unfortunately, it doesn't come with a digital copy, but uh, I don't already have unbreakable and split so i was like you know what all in one little case for it's by the way uh this m night Shyamalan trilogy for those of you who don't know is referred to as the east rail 177 trilogy trilogy uh east rail 177 being the uh train that derailed in unbreakable um so that was new to me but uh when i went over to walmart to check it out i noticed Oh yeah, Justice League versus the Fatal Five came out today, and I typically get all of this, uh, all the directed DVD animated features on uh, digital. Um, but there are a couple I will get um, depending on sort of certain circumstances on Blu-ray. Uh, before this, I 
that, that Constantine um, City of Demons one because it's supposedly, I mean, not supposedly, it does use the same actor, I think Matt Ryan, uh, as the Constantine TV series. And, of course, the Arrowverse is currently using with um, uh, what's the Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, and uh, I also got the Ray um, the Ray uh, movie, which is takes place involving uh, the Crisis on Earth X, same character, same voice actor. Uh, it's kind of tied into the CW verse, and I also have the um, the Vixen stuff. They did a bunch of Vixen shorts uh, online that all accumulated into one Vixen animated movie, uh, also tied into the CW verse. In this case, I decided to get this because this is Bruce Tim style uh, animated and. Um, the Fatal Five are a group of the Legion of Superheroes' biggest villains, uh, Emerald Empress and uh, the Persuader and, and stuff like that. Um, so I was like, you know what, that's that's interesting, I'll see it. Um, Starboy uh, is involved in this pretty heavily, but the main reason I got it, and the main reason you guys should care, is because Jessica Cruz is in this. And when I say Jessica Cruz is in this, Jessica Cruz is like the primary character focus point on this. Because before, as we record this, it's Tuesday, new movies come out on Tuesday on in, in their hard copy forms. Um, so this is the day it came out. I watched it right before we started recording. Um, so I saw it for the first time. And uh, it's it's really enjoyable. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. It is a directed DVD animated feature. It can only be so uh, so intense in terms of its rating. It's obviously PG thirteen. But Jessica Cruz is first and foremost uh, in this film. And um, when you meet her, she is having a dream about what happened to her. And when I say what happened to her, she's out hiking with her friends. They come across a dead body being buried in the woods. They're captured, and her friends are killed in front of her, just like the comics. She's a shut-in. She's already gotten the ring at this point, and after she leaves her apartment, she goes to visit her therapist. So it is very much like that sort of um, a group of few issues where we got really deep into Jessica's life and her past and what happened to her. Um, so we never really we never really get her origin in terms of the whole power ring side of it all. Um, but uh, she's she's primarily in there there's a moment where they go to oa and we see kilowog and we see um salak uh there as well those are the only two other lanterns we see um in action um and uh i, I texted mark right when it happened uh was it fart nuggets is that what you said? i believe that's what you said yeah, there's one. There's one moment where Salak is like, "Yeah, stand down," uh, or something like that, and he turns around to see one of the villains is standing, and he goes, "Oh, fart nuggets." It's <laughs> like, wait a sec, what? <laughs> what did Salak just say? Um, so that was cool. I will say this: uh, it's, it's it's Bruce Tim style, but what's really cool about it is we get to Oa, and the landscape of the floating cities above Oa is straight out of First Flight. Uh, this the the way the city's uh, the way the city is designed the way the power battery is designed straight out of first flight um, same with the 
I want to say the design of Salak and the the design of Salak is more towards Bruce Timm's original design of him, like when Kyle Rayner and the core would make an appearance in like Justice League Unlimited and stuff like that, or in the Superman animated series. But Kilowog looks like a perfect mix of the 3D style of Green Lantern, the animated series, as well as what you saw him as in those direct-to-DVD animated features. So they did a really good job of utilizing the designs and the the mythology and, and the way it all worked and looked in terms of Green Lan- the Green Lantern Corps within this this film and, and making it work with the Bruce Timm style. So um, I, I think I, I, I really enjoy it. And plus, you know, Mark, I know Mark is not a big Legion of Superheroes fan. And I'm not either to like a, a massive extent, but I do have like my favorite Legionnaires, and one of uh, two of them are Dawnstar and Shadowlass, who both make an appearance here in this story. You don't get voices or anything like that, so it's not like they're highly prominent. But it's so cool to see Dawnstar and Shadowlass in. Uh, and Bruce Timm's style. Uh, there's a point because for those of you who do know Starboy, you know he has like some some mental problems and he he takes some medicine and stuff like that for him. And obviously when he comes back to the past, he doesn't have that medicine with him, so his sort of mental state is deteriorating. Uh, which brings me to another point: um, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, all here. Uh, I all I believe the original voice cast from Justice League the animated series, unless. Wonder Woman sounded slightly different, so maybe not. Um, the other two main characters here, and there are others, but the, the two most prominent, Miss Martian and Mr. Terrific. Um, so, uh, and Miss Martian is in kind of uh, limbo. She's not a titan, but she is a, sort of a about to become a Justice Leaguer, sort of in training to be a, a full-time leaguer. Um but uh, yeah, so uh, there's a there's a moment where Miss Martian uh, kind of helps Batman and Jessica go into Starboy's mind to kind of figure out who he is and all of this. So they get sort of the history of the Legion of Superheroes while they're in his mind, and you kind of get this whole pan around of uh, of this circular room. And you see all these Legionnaires, and the only thing I could think of was, we never really did get to see Bruce Timm design the entire Legion of Superheroes. And it was just cool to for the, that 10, 15 seconds to sort of spin around that room and look at all the designs Bruce Timm came up for just this moment of, of uh, just seeing the Legionnaires there. So that was cool. But it was really enjoyable. Um, it's it's very straightforward. It's it's not you're not going to be surprised by anything in this film. But I'm sort of looking at this as like a sort of one shot movie that ties directly into the Justice League animated series because uh, I have Justice League and Justice League Unlimited on DVD in a box set. So I I would never have any problem. Maybe one day and if whenever I do it again because I do it every now and then binging something i would say oh you know what i'm gonna binge justice league and as soon as i finish go you know what let me throw on justice league versus the fatal five i don't think i'd have a single issue go just making that transition it's really i feel it's really seamless well that's 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 pretty impressive that's a very good ringing endorsement there chad yeah and i'm telling you guys this this is jessica cruz heavy she is your focal point. So if you were thinking like, yeah, maybe she's just a sort of a side character or whatever. No, 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 no. This might as well be Justice League featuring Jessica Cruz. 
So I would I would highly recommend if you guys are were curious about it because of the Green Lantern aspects, go get it. Guess I'll have to check that out faster than I normally planned on doing that. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it was definitely enjoyable. Um, what's uh, what's next? Roll it again. <laughs> <laughs> Just cannot resist doing a voice, huh? I, I, Cor, Cor, Corwin posted that posted like a meme to me, and I was like, "Well, at least I get like to do, I can do." Let me do the, be able to do the voice in comfort for like at least like the next ten to fifteen years, <laughs> keeping it keeping it back. I don't. It's like it's not like people are gonna forget it anytime soon. Maybe anyway, but now that it's gonna be back back in a proper episode, then at least uh, keep fear alive. All right. <laughs> All right, folks, we are over on YouTube on the Star Wars YouTube channel, looking at Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker teaser. It is a two-minute and four-second video. We are at the zero-zero mark. Mark's going to play it for us. Um, you ready? Wait, am I, is it my sound or your sound? Your sound. Oh, see, I thought we were using your sound since we normally do. So let me let me change. Let me just unmute this, and we should be all right. I'm technically at the one-second mark, but it really isn't going to make much of a difference. <laughs> Uh, I've got the, vi- the the volume turned down, but I got captions. I've watched it a billion times. I know I know what's happening. All right, uh, and uh, let's roll it. We've passed on all we know. and generations live in you now. But this is your fight. That's right, Rise of Skywalker. Now, did nice. You, did, so, did you end up watching it? I know we were chatting when they were doing, when they were doing the, uh, or chatting. Oh yeah, before. I was watching, you were watching, I was watching it, the presentation. I was watching, I was yeah. watching the, yeah, I was watching the live celebration. Yeah, yeah. I, 
Yeah. I, and I didn't plan on it, guys. Like I, I just so happened to I, I didn't have anything to do for several hours. I just happened to wake up and I was like just kind of you know doing my morning routine and scrolling through YouTube and I was just like, oh, oh shit. Uh, all right. Well, um, I guess I'm awake in time for this. I might as well sit down and watch it. Right? They're they they they're bound to show a trailer, aren't they? So uh, yeah, I got nothing better to do for the next few hours. So I'll just sit here and I guess I'll I guess I'll watch this. But it's not something I specifically set aside time for. I wasn't that hyped for it. <laughs> no, and if, to be fair, I this shows you my overall level of Star Wars enthusiasm, where it has been over the last couple of years that. I didn't even know. I knew that. I knew we were supposed to get the trailer in the, on Friday. I knew we were supposed to get the trailer actually around one o'clock Eastern Standard Time. I didn't know we were going to be getting it basically live. We as a, as you know, we were. It was going to be streamed at the same time they were seeing it in the convention hall. So I when you posted that, I checked it out, and then and then then I realized that oh yeah, that you know because it started around twelve Eastern. That's figured, okay, they're gonna do whatever they're gonna do with all the interviews and they're just setting it up for like an hour and then they're which I, I didn't watch all of uh, I, I'm trying to remember, I think I'm trying to remember if I t- if I went to get something to eat or I took my shower first. But I know I missed some parts which sucked because I missed the, most of the, the Lando, the Billy D. Williams stuff. But I did watch the I did watch the beginning of it and I watched the end of the panel discussion. And then, of course, um, one of the one of I mean, one of the things one of the things I, I the only really thing I, I wanted to say about the the, um, the the panel is I really appreciated the amount of applause and attention they gave um, to uh, what's her name I I forget um, Paige is it is it it's Turco it's but it's a Paige Turco I keep forgetting what it is, is she no plays Rose right yeah hold on I'll find it just um, yeah. They they applauded. They the standing ovation. They it went on longer than probably the applause for almost anybody else. Um, lots of shouts from the crowd. We love you and stuff like that. So uh, I, I really appreciated seeing that. I, I, I didn't like it. Didn't make me tear up, but I was like, you know, it, it put a smile on my face because even if it even if it was very obvious what they were doing, it doesn't matter. Um, the amount of hate that woman got because of the last Jedi, the amount of undeserved hate she got because of the last Jedi. Like I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'm, I'm not the kind of person who's going to sit there and send death threats to someone just because I don't like something. Uh, and I, I think I said it when we were talking back uh, in the day about the last Jedi, the idea that you would, harass someone to the point where they're so scared and 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 so anxious and everything that they leave their own social media accounts because of all the death threats and crap they're getting is crazy enough but to do it to it like she's a young actress she she got she got the part in a star wars movie and took it like that's the dream for any actor to be like part of a massive franchise like this so how how do you hate on someone like that that vehemently? And it, it was it was always just so mind-boggling to me when it ha- was happening live after the Last Jedi. It was just it's 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 it was cool to see the amount of love and attention that entire building gave her when she was on stage. Yes, Rose Tico, Kelly Marie Tran. That's the name I was I got the character's name and I was getting confused. So Kelly Marie Tran played Rose Tico. I knew Tico was in there somewhere. Uh, yeah, that that. That was not. That was nice. Uh, yeah, I don't. I think. The, I don't think that character. I think that character got more hate than uh, than it deserved. I think. So, I think some of it was people just hated that Canto Blight 
Canto bite storyline so much that it was real easy to I think take it out on her. Uh, but she isn't justifying. So, it. I, I'm just saying that I think that's I think that's part of it. I think they thought that whole part of the movie was such a waste. That, so uh, we should should we should we turn you loose on some speculation because uh, yeah I've I've got something I think you might know not not know about but I want to see if you bring it up on your own naturally before I try and like. Drop some knowledge on you. You just got to phrase. It's really da- it's really doubtful. You don't already. You, you, this isn't something you you didn't uh, already find out for yourself while looking up information and just kind of scouring the trailer for for whatever hints you wanted. Uh, so let's first let's just go with the init- with my initial thoughts about the trailer. It's very much. I mean. Even if you go back to Last Je- uh, Last Jedi, I mean, you and I talked about specifically the the Monday Night Football trailer, in which that I that was the trailer that really gave me the vibe I wasn't going to like this movie. Uh, like, and I said that when we talked about it that I have a feeling this is not going to be my trilogy, and that's the way. And I still may Episode Nine could change that slightly, but I still don't. I think this is going to be my quote unquote prequel trilogy, the way a lot of people feel about the prequels. I think this trilogy is going to do that for me, because, only because I don't have much invested in the new characters. I like Ray. I liked her more in 7 than I did in 8. But, and hopefully, and time is going to pass between 7 and 8 I and mean, 9, so maybe some of the stuff that she does and is able to do, there's going to actually be some, at least some kind of believability to it than just the fact that, oh, I'm, I can do this, do this because I can. But they can cut good trailers. Just like Marvel can cut good trailers, Lucasfilm can cut good trailers. And J.J. is really good at that. And this trailer is very much like the first trailer for – the teaser trailer for Force Awakens, which isn't surprising. Uh, so the thing that's the, the most – obviously a lot of the fan service moments, the stuff with Lando, that you know people really like that. How could you not like that? The stuff with Luke's narration, which again makes you wonder exactly in context of when it happens. You assume he's talking to Ray, but still. But Luke's narration is good throughout because it's Luke, and because we all want to have more of Luke since we most people didn't think didn't like what we got of Luke and eight. And of course, the ultimate, the real, the real, you know, the slam dunk on this was you know the the Emperor's laugh about no one's ever really gone. Which ta- also, which was kind of hinted at earlier in the, in the presentation in the conference, in the, in the conference room, the, the presentation hall, when Abrams was talking about you know people coming together to face like the ultimate evil or unspeakable evil. I forget how he phrased it. So as soon as he said that, the thought crossed your mind. Well, it's not going to be Kylo, and it probably isn't going to be Snoke unless they bring him back. So what are they going to do? And since there had been rumors circul- circling about or in around this movie that Palpatine was going to be in it. Uh, that Ian McDermott was going to be back, whether it was going to be as a hologram, as a Sith holocron, whatever. That the that it was out there for a long time that he was going to be in this movie, and now we still don't know what role he's going to be. We just know he's going to be back. We don't know if he's if he's going to be physically back, if he's going to be like a heaven forbid, but it would make sense on some level if he's going to be like a Star Wars version of Parallax, being able to possess people. And take and jump from body to body and take people, using more Sith uh, sorcery than than and Sith magic than science. See, uh, what I think, what I think is, 
Um, I, I, I think I personally would be disappointed if it was physically Palpatine. Um, I think as of right now, I think the most likely thing is you remember on Dagobah when Luke went into that sort of tree cave and faced down Vader. I think going into the Death Star is like one of those places that Yoda mentions where things are just sort of reeking with the dark side. Same with, um, what was that pit or whatever that Ray fell into in the last movie with oh, the yeah, whole yeah, mirror yeah. section? That that sort of just leaked the dark energy. I going into the Death Star where Palpatine died has got to be then one of those places that is just dark energy that they're not going to necessarily be encountering or or uh, dealing with the energy or essence of Palpatine anywhere else than that moment when they go into the wreckage of the Death Star. I think that could be true, I think, but I think at the very least he's going to be reaching out from there. That which is probably what would draw them to there, the fact that they that's where they locate that something is calling, maybe something calls to Kylo is and it also calls to Rey. And so I think that's possible. I think with the t- with cutting the trailer the way they did if Palpatine doesn't play, even if he's not in the movie for physically, uh, or, and I mean physically, even if he appears as an apparition or as a as a holocron, whatever. If he's not, if his role in the movie is relatively small and his influence in the movie is relatively small, after the way this trailer was put together, I think that's going to lead to disappointment. And they have to be real careful about that, because while to be fair, it seems like this trailer did get a good reaction. I think some people are. And I, I and I think we I think you and I talked about I think we talked about it or and Jim and I talked too so it's sometimes it's hard to get the idea that some you know some of Star Wars fans it, it doesn't take much to bring back on board that if you're really a Star Wars fan it doesn't take a lot to, to maybe fl- make you flip the switch and come back that this did a good job at giving you a good vibe but I don't th- but it certainly hasn't erased in the eyes of the people who it needs to erase all the sins. Of, La- of Last Jedi, and maybe in some for Force Awakens too, because that was not. It was a lot more popular movie, but it wasn't. It was a movie that was not perfect. No movie's perfect, but there were some things in that movie that were, like, like not having Han, Luke, and Leia together in a scene was a cardinal sin. That was a mistake. Whether it was a flashback or not, it was a mistake. That's what people wanted to see. That's what people wanted to see. The idea that all these characters are, are going to be strung ac- and across the universe, and you're never going to get. A f- and then they, you know, you, especially when they knew they were killing off Han Solo, that you knew you were never going to have that opportunity to have all these characters back together again uh, as being alive. So, but Force Awakens was more popular. I don't know. This there's not. If you look at what's in the trailer, moving beyond the, you know, the Death Star wreckage is cool. Lando is cool. Yeah, the Ray flip fundamentally is cool because we know Jedi can do things like that. That's not going to make the people who are not thrilled with Ray, or more specifically, not thrilled with Last Jedi. Happy. That's just going to feed in the oh, it's the Mary Sue thing. Now, yeah, she's been been. We're going to have more of an explanation, I assume. She has all the jet the Jedi texts. We're, we're going to assume that Luke and maybe Yoda and Obi Wan have been talking to her in this time, but we don't know that. So I don't think any of the actual action sequences we see in the movie are that in the trailer are that spectacular. Uh, to say, oh yeah, this looks fantastic based on what we see. It's 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 a pull at the heartstrings thing, which is exactly what 
Force Awakens was in the in especially the teaser trailer. And Abrams is good at that. He's real good at that. So is the so I think the trailer was good, but the trailer was not great. So I think it certainly didn't it didn't accomplish what I think it needed. Correction. It didn't accomplish everything it could, but it also did, didn't uh, miss the mark completely either. And I think it has people talking. And of course, the title, which we have to talk about, the title has people talking to, even if you hate the title, trying to figure out what it means is cool from the perspective it makes you figure out why, what the hell does that mean? Especially when this is going to be supposedly the last proper episode that we're getting. Yeah. So, what do you think the title means? Because there's... Well, uh, did I have any thoughts of my own? No. Um, There is a very prominent theory out there that I have heard a lot of. Now, maybe, maybe only prominent in the circles that I'm in that have been talking about this trailer. Uh, maybe it's not actually a prominent thing, but uh, it is something that has been talked about a lot that I tend to agree with after hearing it and hearing it more and more and more. The idea of Skywalker being a title and not necessarily an individual. Uh, if we're talking about bringing balance to the force and doing this, that and the other. Uh, and I believe I, I was listening to uh, Ryan's uh, Give Me the Star Wars episode where he was talking with his brother about this and um, – they were talking about it much akin to how the Sith uh, have the title of Darth. The uh, the Jedi never really had their own title. So what if there is a Jedi, you know, the, the, there is the Jedi, but there is a, you are a Skywalker. Um, you know, that, that sort of a thing. Uh, all these other uh, fans, other entities, other podcasts or articles or blogs or whatever, they did a much better job at explaining it and making it make more sense than I am. Um, but, uh, it, the more and more I hear it, the more and more I think that's a, that's a really cool and unique idea. I think it'd be cool to see. Do I think it's actually going to happen? Probably not. Um, but I do like the idea, so I definitely don't want to write it off 100%. So the idea of this, of a Skywalker, you know, there's four sensitive people and there's the light and the dark, but if we're going to bring balance to the force and everything's going to be sort of, uh, all things being equal and balance, then maybe Skywalker is this new title that is uh, given on from here forward. I think you are correct in the sense, well, I think you're correct a lot in that, I think, but you're correct, I think, that it's that's a very popular opinion. That I, so I think it isn't just in your circles. I think it's in, I think, and I can, I think the majority, this is what, this is, these are the main, the main possibilities people throw out there, not necessarily putting them in the most popular order. Obviously, one theory is it refers to uh, Kylo and his redemption. Number two, it, it, the, the reveal that Rey is actually a Skywalker. You could make the case three could be that somehow, since Anakin was the one who was supposed to bring balance to the Force, that, it, that Anakin plays a role, because also Hayden Christensen, Christensen is supposed to be in this movie. And the, the fourth, which is probably the most popular... Which is yes, the basically the great the con- something that we've talked about before on this show, the great Jedi concept. Going back to what Luke said, you know that that uh, it was time for the Jedi to end. Even going back to the Force Awakens, when Snoke said said that if if the, basically if, if they find Skywalker, if Skywalker returns, the new Jedi will rise. Which of course most people just assumed it would be oh just the next generation of Jedi. 
but maybe, but maybe what, the, and that may have been the intent when <laughs> that may have been the intent when uh, JJ wrote it. But based on what's left, that it could also be true that the new Jedi basically means what the Jedi become, what the Jedi evolve into, and that could be that the idea that yes, they they will no longer be Jedi, that they will be Skywalkers. Well, with the Jedi and the Sith, yes. because the idea of a great Jedi, if I understand it correctly, and I'm not as heavily into the mythos as you are, but it, it's a middle point between Jedi and Sith. Yes, it, it is. It is. It is re- basically real. I think it is realizing, realizing, and understanding, and using the fact that you can tap, you can use some. Basically, you can use some of the emotion and the passion from the from the dark side along and. You can use some of the pos- you know, the, the 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 calmness and the non-possessiveness, and that there that, that there is a there is a middle ground that can be walked, and the idea that and to be truly balanced conceptually, you would really need to have all of that. You're really not you as an individual really are not ba- I mean, you are ba- you are you are in balance if you have all of that inside you, but you don't let one side dominate the other. If you're able to put it keep it keep it within you. Uh, but that doesn't mean you ignore half of what of what makes you you. So I think that I that idea that you know the Jedi that the Jedi end, the Sith end, and what's left are the are you know for are Force users who realize that you can you can be, basically you can still use some aspects that would normally pull you to the dark side, but you can still use them and understand them, and you can still do good. Not, not the once you start down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny crap that we got from Yoda, which still makes the ending of Jedi make no sense based on what was filmed. It makes no sense. Luke used the dark side to beat Vader. He should have been screwed. So without that, without an explanation, which there was in the book, which I always talk about, then the, the ending of Jedi would make sense. If that's the ultimate test of a Jedi, then that would make sense. You take that first step towards the dark side, you realize it, you step back and you reject it, then what Luke did throwing his lightsaber away made the ending per- made perfect sense. Without it, it still makes no sense based on what Yoda kept telling us. So it's the idea of being, able to, being in the middle. But either way, even if you don't want to look at it from a gray Jedi concept, just the idea that the next generation of Force users... But it would be better for Gray because then you end the conflict between Seth and Jedi. That there doesn't have to be one or the other. You, it's, they are they are one. They are one going forward. But I think that I actually think that's a strong possibility. Uh, I if I had to bet, that's the one I would bet on now. I, I certainly don't want Kylo to be redeemed because I don't think he's rede- he's redeemable. I don't. I don't want. I, and I'm consistent because I've said repeatedly I never thought Vader was redeemable in Jedi too. That all the crappy things, even without seeing the prequels, that we knew by, we already knew anecdotally that Vader had done. We don't, and plus what we had seen, we don't. Vader, you know, he's not going to. He wasn't redeemable, and I don't think Kylo's redeemable. Uh, plus, we have no background with Kylo. We really have no background at all with Kylo on film, other than what we see. At the time for Star Wars, we didn't either. But it really was Luke's story in four, five, and six. It only became Anakin slash Vader's story when you put all one through six together. Uh, so I th- I thought the trailer I thought the trailer was was pretty effective. I was hoping I don't think it was a home run, but I think it made enough people happy where it buy it buys them time, and mm-hmm. it creates interest and it raises hope, which is what you need. The idea that oh maybe he can pull this off, maybe he's going to give us a satisfactory ending, 
to not just Episode Nine in this trilogy, but for one through nine, and give us an ending that ties into elements that we've seen before, and one through three, four through six, and seven and eight, and make it work. The really daunting challenge that it, you know. So, so we're gonna we're gonna see. I like the fact that he and he talked. JJ talked about this. The idea that he's putting the, the characters are going on a journey together, which is something we never got in Episode Seven or Eight. They were always off doing their own thing. Having all the main three characters actually doing, going on a mission together, whether that means they're together the whole movie or not, that's not that's not re- that's not necessarily relevant. The fact that we all we we certainly see them at the end together, or we see them we see them at the near the ruins of the Death Star together, uh, unless it's super cleverly edited. But we know that they work that they are together at some point, all three of them working together. That's good because that's so I th- I I th- I have. I have faith that it's going to be better than eight. Do I think it? I don't know if I'm still going to make me like this trilogy or not. But I think with Abrams on board, I, it's got a better, it's got a better shot. I think than, than if he, and and I liked what he said on the panel. Kathleen Kennedy is just full of crap, and you kind of know it. Like when she's talking about like every minute or every second we're thinking about the fans. It's like yeah, you're saying that now because you because of what happened with eight. You surely weren't thinking it when you were making eight because you would not have done some of the things that you did in eight, or you wouldn't have reacted to the fans when they voiced legitimate concerns and criticisms of the movie after it came out. So JJ, I believe Kathleen Kennedy, I don't uh, when it came to that stuff and. I, I'm, I'm, I am interested, but I'm still – my interest in Star Wars is still relatively low. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. The There is a hint in this trailer because you hadn't brought it up yet, so I don't know if you – I'll bring it up and see what you say. There's a there's a, another hint in this trailer actually that we're going to be dealing even more with uh, Ray's parentage. Did you pick up on that? Did you see anything online about that? I heard something. Was that, was that in the big – is that like in the beginning of the trailer? Before? I will send. I will send you an image. Because I did hear it. I didn't. We're going to play a game of uh, that's very popular in highlights. Find the similarity between these two photos. At the top is a flashback of Ray uh, knowing a bit about of her past from oh, I believe okay. Force Awakens. There's a ship of her parents leaving. Okay. Yes, and the bottom is a shot from this trailer. Okay. The I knew, ship I knew, design is damn close yep. to the exact same. And let's be honest. I mean, maybe if uh, Trevor did his version of Episode Nine, maybe. But then again, things would have been different. And some things would have been different in Episode Eight. But maybe not the raised parents being nobody thing. You kind of knew that had to be revisited because J.J. Abrams was clearly setting up raised parents not to be nobody. Which doesn't mean he's going to completely retcon it now. He may have no choice but to suck it up and say, I can tweak it a little, but I can't do what I originally wanted to do. Which I'm sure is this, this – that's probably a nice description for the entire Episode Nine. There's lots of things he probably if, – if Episode Eight had not gone the way it did, it stuck – if it stuck to his vision of what was going to happen and where characters were going to end up at the end of Nine, then probably – Episode nine would be different. The one we're getting would be different, but he can't re- he can't reinvent the wheel completely. So I think at the very least we'll get more of an explanation. There's always a chance, of course, that the people who Ray, Ray thinks are her parents aren't even her parents. You know that. Uh, so I'll be curious. I, I I'd like there to be more to it. Obviously, we know Kylo Ren is a completely unreliable narrator. 
So just take right. It. Well, before but b- before we go too far, because uh, I'm not going to post this on 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 the show notes or anything. The image we're looking at, folks, it was was the top. That's from Force Awakens, right? When she's getting all the flashbacks. Yes, it should be. Okay. Okay. Uh, in the Force Awakens, there's a moment where you see uh, young Ray kind of reaching out toward the skies as there's a ship flying off of. Uh, um, um, Jakku. What's the name of Jakku? Thank you. Uh, as there's a ship flying off of Jakku. It's never actually said. Uh, I think may, Ray may be shouting "Mama" or something, or something to that effect. But it's very clearly. Uh, she's being given to that slave trader or worker or whatever, uh, the big dude from Force Awakens that she was trading all her stuff into, uh, and she's a very little girl, so you're, it's very heavily implied she's reaching out towards her parents, and her parents are on that ship. If you freeze that and you look at that ship and then go to this trailer, there's a moment in this trailer where there's a ship flying in on uh, – it looks like uh, under cover of night towards around, around a couple of mountains towards this maybe city in the trees or something like that. That ship's design, the shape of its burners, all that stuff looks very, very similar to that same ship that Ray saw take off from Jakku as a kid. So that's that's what I'm that's what I was showing, Mark. And you are and you are correct that that is a very, very likely plot point. Uh, it's there is could it be a coincidence? Could it be one of those things you throw in a trailer to throw people off? Yeah, it could be, but I don't. I think there probably is some truth. There's certainly going to be some truth that we're going to get, in my opinion, that we're going to get more of an explanation for exactly what the deal was with her parents and why she was left on Jakku and whatever. Because really, and it would be beneficial to know, no matter, it would be beneficial to get to have some explanation for why she's so incredibly force sensitive and can, she can do shit that no one should be able to do without, without. You you thought Luke got a speed reading course in being a Jedi? I mean, she this. She's got nothing of consequence at all, and she can right. do this and she can do that, and and that's just not that. And some people I know have said, "Oh, anybody can do it." Yeah, but it, that's kind of like as ridiculous as anybody. It, the, when when the concept was anybody can put a Green Lantern ring on and do everything you want with it, it's like that makes it not special and doesn't make it unique. Uh, so, you know, potential is just potential unless it's kind of fine tuned and harnessed and honed. So. Yeah, I, I I think that it would be nice to get an ex, an explanation for that, and a lot of there's lots of stuff that's, that's rumored to be going you know, going down in this movie. So I, some of it, most what I mean, I am cautiously optimistic, but after Last Jedi, it's going to be hard for me to be super enthusiastic about because I don't care because I don't care about the characters all that much. Finn is okay. I liked Finn in Seven more much more than I thought. I didn't like I thought. In eight, he was kind of nothing. I like Poe overall, even though they still gave him stupid thing and stupid reactions. Not the only one. In eight, uh, just to teach him a lesson, you know, I have to keep have to keep him in the dark just so he grows up and does really stupid things, as opposed to just telling him what your plan is. Uh, and Ray Ray was the closest to the same character, but I just. Uh, yeah, and Kylo, I don't like. I don't like Ky- even he's not anywhere as cool as Vader, and I and I don't think there's anything. But that's why, depending on what Palpatine's role is, maybe we're gonna get an explanation for why, what the pull was, why he was cor- he's so easily corrupted. So maybe there will be a, you know, not necessarily literally like a parallax thing, but something but similar to where there that it was Palpatine doing a head job. And calling to him all this time, even when be, even when he thought it was Snoke that was turning him, it really wasn't Snoke. 
that there was something behind the scenes playing on him, making it so much more difficult for him to resist. Uh, but we'll see. Well, I, one thing's yeah. yeah. Sorry. One one thing's one thing's for sure. I'm finally gonna have to actually break down and read cover to cover Darth Plagueis. Well, but I don't know if I don't know if you have to because it's because technically speaking, this and it, which mind you. It would be. I will say this. It's an interesting read, even though, like I think I've told you before, going into it, just remember, it's basically more of a Darth Sidious book than a Plagueis book. It begins maybe the first third. Well, that's what. I, well, that's what I mean. It's the. That's the point. That's the point of the book. Then, you know. Yeah, but if 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 if, if, he, if he's going to be involved in this next movie and he's somehow still alive in some way, shape, or form, or just his spirit or whatever then it's much more likely that there's something I can glean from that book that may have some influence in this film. I mean, it's not gonna, it's not gonna, it's not gonna hurt. And I think it's, and it's, as a book, it's an, it's an enjoyable read, even though it, even that book retconned a lot of stuff we thought was the way things went down in Phantom Menace. Since, like I think I said before on the show, talking about this, and that book, Darth Plagueis is pretty much alive during almost the entire events of Phantom Menace. He doesn't get offed by Palpatine until right towards the end of the movie of the movie that we saw. So the idea of, of Sidious already being the master then and controlling this and it lessens Darth Maul's role since technically Darth Maul wasn't really a, truly a Sith until like about five minutes before the battle led Naboo. I'm exaggerating, but basically. So it's only inter- it's interesting. Be- it's interesting because you see because you do get some glimpses in Palpatine's work war, basically his head jobs on Dooku early on to try to pave the way for how he could get Dooku and it also is interesting because of the fact that it's you see the ego of Palpatine which of course is you know his his pride is his is his weakness the fact that he knew Plagueis found the secret he just couldn't wait long enough for, he was just so impatient and sick and tired of being the apprentice that he couldn't wait wait long enough for Plagueis to teach him what he learned how to basically reanimate the tissue, to keep tissue alive and not die. That he knew it, and Plagueis was going to teach him, because from Plagueis' perspective, hey, the rule of two is over. There's going to be no more Sith. It's just going to be you and I, which, of course, is great to say when you're on top. But when you're the apprentice, that sucks, especially when you've been raised and taught the entire time that your job is basically to, to, to challenge your master at some point and defeat him or die, trying. And then, so... But it's still moronic, but it shows the weakness of Palpatine, that in the big picture, being a little more patient to learn this skill, which would keep you potentially – But now, but so they're probably going to tap into it. They're going to retcon stuff, and that's what I'm afraid of too, is that fact that – in Revenge of the Sith – you know, he made it clear to Luke, to, excuse me, Anakin, two minutes after he, two minutes after he he played head games with him to help him kill uh, Mace Windu, he made it clear he didn't know that ability. He just said Plagueis. He basically said only the ability to cheat death was only one only one person is ever able to learn that power, which of course was Plagueis. Unless, but they, so to do it, they have to retcon it and say, well, he was lying. He was lying, which of course is Palpatine. It would make sense, but based on what we've seen in the movies and even what was in the books up to this point, he doesn't know that power. At least before they did the post Disney takeover stuff, he never knew that ability. Uh, so that's why they did. That's why they did use the what uh, Dark Empire and stuff when he was cloning himself and coming back and things like that because he didn't have that ability. So if they do that where he did learn, it's just a retcon which I can live with. But, 
but yeah, so <clears throat> there are. I just hope yes. I hope we get an explanation for who Snoke was, an explanation for with Snoke's relationship to Palpatine. It would be I st- it would be nice if we find out. Maybe we do find out that you know Plagueis maybe was, maybe he was Pal- uh, was uh, Snoke, things like that. And I hope we get more about about Ray's parentage and 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 I don't want Kylo redeemed. Those are kind of the things I'm. Plus, we've been down that road before. You know. All right. Well, we're an hour and a half into this. We still got some more to cover. What's uh, what's next? Uh, just ever so brief talk about about Endgame, which I really had no intention of doing anymore. But Marvel just can't. It's like an addict. They just can't stop putting more stuff out. I mean, and it's it's really it's really frustrating actually. Even though everything of consequence they put out has been cool to watch, but it's like they don't need to. They don't need to put more stuff out. So we've so we've seen so basically they, they put out the uh, which one of the, seemingly is one of the first word of the episode one of the first scenes in the movie after Captain Marvel's with the Avengers in the headquarters when they are making it clear that they're going to go to Thanos basically go to fight Thanos now with the goal of trying to get the gauntlet to undo the snap by using the gauntlet, which of course make. Which probably is the scene we see with Captain Marvel flying the ship along with Rocket and why we don't see Tony and we don't see uh, Nebula in that scene. And again, whether Ant-Man has shown up or not yet, it's probably not. But it, it looks like that would make sense in that scene because they're going, they're flying off into space. They don't have their Quantum Realm suits on. It makes sense that they're, fly, they're going to, to the quote, quote they're going to fight or find Thanos to try to get him get the gauntlet right in the beginning of the movie and undo the snap, which either means they're going to get their asses handed to them and and or maybe not get their asses to them, handed to them, but they find out that the gauntlet doesn't work correctly anymore. That maybe he can, maybe it works, it can harness a few stones, but maybe it can't harness all six that you need to undo the snap anymore. Uh, multiple possibilities. They could just lose to him, but... Or they could – it could not be a total ass-whooping, but they find out that even if they beat them or get the gauntlet, they're not going to be able to do what they want to do. And then the other the other bit of footage was just the idea that we know when they're in the Quantum Realm suits that they seemingly have missions, that they're going on separate missions, which makes sense because if you're trying to gather all the stones and you're going back in different places or different times, it would kind of make sense that you would do that because it gives you a greater chance of winning. Uh, so – other than that, and of course today, today was the first day that actual leaked footage and/or stills from that footage came out, which is, I guess that was inev- inevitable, right? Probably that something was going to come out. Uh, yeah. So it's a it's a week away. So yeah. So for those who want to avoid knowing any specific details uh, or anything shocking, to be fair, what I had seen, it's not it's not stuff that we people haven't talked about before or things we haven't heard so it's not really and nothing had to do with any deaths so that's so that's a positive that they were not hinting or showing footage that indicated this character died that character died even if it was a misdirection there was none of that it was just different things that you'd see so one week a little bit, a little bit over a week away so please no more footage please 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 and i'm not talking the leaked crap i just mean please marvel give it a break you don't need it you got it's like you're taking everybody's money. Just, just, just sit back and open the coffers. <laughs> All right, next. Game of Thrones. Yeah, we're not going to do this every episode, guys. We just decided to do it this time because 
Uh, I just so happened to catch the uh, the the premiere, uh, the, 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 the or the rather the the season premiere um, uh, on Sunday. Uh, I don't have a definitive uh, on deck way of making sure I can see it every every new episode on time on Sunday night. So um, I, I doubt it'll happen. Plus, we always do that wrap up episode yep. at the end of the series. So don't expect a, an episode by episode breakdown, you know, every week or anything like that. It's, I, I really wouldn't uh, expect that. But since we just so happen to catch it, we already had all these other things to talk about uh, TV uh, and film wise. We figured we'd give it a few moments. Um, this is going to be spoiler ish. If you don't want to know anything about Game of Thrones right now, you haven't seen the episode yet. Um, maybe you're waiting till it's all out. I don't know. Maybe you're one of the people who doesn't have HBO. You're waiting till everything comes out on Blu-ray. I don't know. Uh, there are a lot of people out there who are very vehemently against uh, spoilers of any kind for Game of Thrones until they see the material themselves. So that will end this episode for you if you don't want to do that. Thank you for listening. Have fun. But here we head into Game of Thrones territory. Yes, and as uh, Chad and I have talked about repeatedly uh, amongst ourselves, that the reality is there really isn't that much. From a true spoiler's point of view, there really wasn't much in Episode 1 that would be something it would shock. Basically, I don't know if there was anything in Episode 1 that would really shock people based on where we left off last season. Uh, no, you know, here, Here's a spoiler right off the bat. No, nobody of relevance dies in Episode 1. <laughs> Which doesn't, which didn't surprise me at all. I, I would have bet money that was going to be the case. Episode one is a setup episode, which on one level is disappointing because you only have six of these and now we're down to five. But it's needed, and it looks like unfortunately episode two is going to be a lot of setup too, heading into a big episode three. But there are episode one was mostly about characters reuniting and characters who had never been on the same stage before seeing each other. And just putting, you know, putting the chess pieces in, in place. The only, if you're going to look at anything that was a, I guess the only real surprise for episode maybe was the fact that, and that John learned who he was, in the first episode. Maybe they, yeah. you know, maybe some people thought that was going to be, going to be dragged out a little bit. I liked the way they did it though, with the, Sam finding out what happened to his father and his and his brother, which of course. That's a very interesting conversation, just because, of course, that's not the whole point of all these ca- of of Jorah bringing uh, Danny to go see him was not for that was not anything to do with that. It was just basically to show her gratitude for saving him, and they just went. And then the reality of realizing he was related to uh, you know the, the Tarleys that uh, ended up getting fried by Drogon. That that was a little. That was a very well acted, but uncom- very uncomfortable scene. Um, I think you from everybody from all three of them, they did that scene very well. That Sam, you know, Sam pulled that off very well. He, you could see the pain, the pain that he was dealing with. You, you know, Daenerys actually you could, but felt bad about having to tell him this, and Jorah just felt really, really awkward, like shit. I set this whole thing up, and that's not. This is not what I intended at all. Uh, but then that. Be- um, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say the, 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 the big thing that I was sort of irritated at, I get it. The show is called Game of Thrones. The idea is who's going to end up on the Iron Throne and who's in charge of, of the Seven Kingdoms or whatever. But now that we're like, winter's coming, winter's coming, winter's coming, and now winter's here. The idea of Sansa just riding Jon's ass about, you know, giving up his crown and stuff, it's just like, 
<laughs> I swear to God, at one point I, I said out loud, I was like, bitch, cut him a break. <laughs> like, all of the undead have broken down the wall and are threatening the entire existence of your species. Forget who has all the throne. Let's get together and defeat the enemy that kills us all, no matter who we're, whose flag we're under. Right. <laughs> like, let it go. <laughs> and I see, and I I agree. I I feel bad. I feel bad for John. And obviously, this is no matter how it no matter how it ends up. Uh, this is John's lot. What his what his fate is. This is John. John is so moral. And John always he, in, in many ways he's he, he is he is truly Ned Stark's son, even though he isn't Ned Stark's son at all. <laughs> that Ned Stark taught him well. Uh, Obi Wan has taught you well. Uh, that he he is so determined to look at the big picture and do the right thing, regardless of how popular it is. That he that that's what his lot is. He he's always going to be in those situations. So I feel bad for him because, yes, he is doing what he thinks is necessary for the North to and for everybody to survive. I do think, and of course this comes to Daenerys' weakness, her blind spot, that there is a way to resolve this whole – there's only going to be one king, there's going to be one queen. We can deal with that shit later on. I pledge my, I pledge my allegiance to you. We are allies, and I will support your claim to the Iron Throne. But that doesn't mean I have to give up my title right now because that's going to work against us. That There was room for that kind of thinking, but it's hard with Daenerys because for, for Daenerys, it's always bend the knee, bend the knee, bend the knee, which is which again is her – it's the thing that she and Stannis have in common – had in common, the fact that they both have that tunnel vision based on their own – and they both have legitimate claims actually now that we know who Jon really is. Her claim is less legitimate. But legitimate, which I want to come back to before we're, we're done. Before we're done with this uh, whole Game of Thrones conversation, I get where Sansa's coming from too. Obviously, Sansa has learned a lot. Sansa's learned a lot, and we get that in, epi- in the first episode because Arya makes it clear to Jon how smart she considers Sansa, which is a nice bookend to how a nice shot that Sansa takes at Tyrion, pointing out how she used to think, how clever and how smart he was. Directly, of course, saying that she no longer thinks that, which you can't blame her because let's be blunt, the last season that last like season plus now has been shitty for Tyrion. They have not, so he has not looked good. His decision making abilities have real. So, for me, not that I really ever thought he was sitting, he had a shot to sit on the Iron Throne. I think his shot is gone because his decision making skills have been so horrible. Uh, the the bloom is kind of off that rose for him being the. The, the 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 wise king uh, hand to the king that he was when when Tywin was out fighting the war for Joffrey that that Tyrion seems to have faded into oblivion he still has a few moments of but and he could get it back but they're really done a number on Tyrion when it comes to that so uh, but I get Sa- Sansa is and this is the danger Sansa is kind of Cersei she's Cersei. With a little, with a little more moral center at this point, but which kind of goes back to the irony of Cersei kind of making it clear early on that basically I was I could teach you a lot if you if you listen to me, you watch me, and you do what I say, do what I tell you to do. Back when she was going to marry Joffrey, that and and certainly Sansa, much like Cersei, has gone through a lot of crap and has learned the hard way. 
So I get it. I don't. I do agree that Sansa should lighten the hell up. There is a little bit of a, you know, the female equivalent of you know a, a dick measuring contest going on between her and Daenerys. And I do. Un- and I do understand the natural concern that that she has as you know, is John really doing it completely for the good of the North? I know he's doing it for the good of the North, but is he also doing it because he's got the hots for her and he's willing to maybe see things that aren't there? Yeah, what's up with John banging chicks under waterfalls? <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, I actually thought that was going to be something that was not going to go that way because I thought it was going to be hitting a little too close to home. Now, from my perspective, he certainly traded up a hell of a lot. Because um, <laughs> uh, I'm not, a, I'm not one of those who happen to think a Gret was uh, a Gret was particularly attractive. And I know they're married in real life, so sorry, John. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry there, but uh, Kit, but. But that was a funny scene, though, just because of, because of the Drogon. I, if yeah. I, I gotta be. If you thought if you thought if you thought being uncomfortable with your dogs or cats watching yes. you at the edge of the bed was weird. And, <laughs> and plus, and plus, because you because you know that there's more that there's more behind that look than hey man, that's my mom. <laughs> Do you know with Drogon, there's more to it than that? And it's like, hey dude, <laughs> it's like you're banging your aunt. But I'm I'm not saying a word. <laughs> I'm gonna feel if Drogon dies, which probably will happen. I'm gonna feel sad actually, because for a dragon, they've really given that dragon a lot of character over the course of the show. None of the other dragons had really any personality at all. Maybe they're gonna give Rhaegal a little bit more now, since that is going to be John, seemingly John's dragon, at least as you know for now. Uh, but. Well, it's named after his father. Yes, isn't it? I, that's what we talked about last season. I thought that would be a gift. I thought when they showed that snippet and the coming attractions or the or the previews of episodes when they saw John touching a dragon, I always thought it was going to be him touching Rhaegal because oh, this is the one named after his father, so it makes perfect sense. But they kind of gave us a a flip, and I think it was actually Drogon that he was able to touch. Uh, but yeah, I, I he shouldn't just like he shouldn't obviously be riding Drogon unless. Danny's already gone, and and basically he has no choice but to ride Drogon, and which may very well happen. Maybe that's maybe we'll get that. Well, well, Rhaegal dies, and then Danny dies, and then you have those two that are left to to, to fight together, Drogon and, and Jon Snow. Um, but that was, it was it was fun. There were a lot. There were some there were some funny moments. There were some funny moments in in the first episode. I think they're clearly setting up a potential romance between Gendry and Arya. Assuming they both live, which is a nice little bookend because you go back to like early on, early on in, in the, the season and probably the show, probably episode one when when Robert was talking about, hey, you know, I have, I have a son and you have a daughter, we'll join houses. And as it turns out, that could very well happen, but just not in a way anybody thought, because Gendry is a bastard, but he is a Baratheon. He is a he's not named, but he really is a Baratheon by blood, and he is Robert's son. So Robert's son could marry Ned's daughter, could be. You know, marry Ned's daughter, but it's going to be Arya. So that would be kind of, that would be kind of interesting. I think they also maybe hinted, even though I still kind of would bet money that it's going to be Sansa, that maybe the, maybe they kind of foreshadowed potentially that maybe Arya is going to be the one left running Winterfell just because of the fact that she did not like being called Lady Stark, hmm. um, and the fact that of course if she marries Gendry, the irony would be they would be r- r- ruling Winterfell together. 
Uh, For me, the big question mark of the episode, and the only thing I have to kind of go on, other than the fact it was an enjoyable episode and it was cool to see, and they, they, the intro was was, yes. was way more detailed than we've ever had before. We're going into the buildings as they're being built. That was cool. Um, but the, um, the, the fact that Bran is waiting specifically for Jamie. Which I clutch. Makes me wonder, what's, 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 what's Jamie's role in this? What does Bran have to tell Jamie or say to Jamie? What is Jamie's role going forward that Bran would make a point to wait for him? Well, well, it, it, can't, it can't be just like, oh, well, the last time I saw you, I pushed you out the window and started you down the path to being the three-eyed raven. And that's actually probably how Bran would look at it right now. Bran probably would have no animosity towards him. He would, if anything, he would probably realize I would, I wouldn't be able to see what I see. I wouldn't be able to basically try to help us have a chance to survive and win if you if you hadn't done that. Uh, he probably sees Jamie's role in the big picture and in, in like related to the prophecy, related to Cersei and things like that. That's probably so. If you're going to look at, if you're going to look at some. Because obviously the next episode hints at basically some pseudo, if not official, trial of Jamie. Because uh, uh, Daenerys is, out, is literally out for blood, which makes sense from Daenerys' point of view. This is the guy that killed her father, justifiably. I mean, he was doing the right thing based on the circumstances, just like I, he'll probably be, do, be doing the right thing when he has to kill Cersei. Uh, but Jamie, but if there's anybody that's going to save, save Jamie's life and have influence, you would think, number one, Bran would have the most influence because he is Sansa's brother. Tyrion might have a little pull just because of the relationship between Tyrion and Sansa. But that also depends how much role how much role Sansa has in this, how much of an influence on this because we know Daenerys is the one who seemingly is using all all her venom, but obviously the La- the Starks have a lot of reason to not to want Jamie Jamie's head literally too. And uh, and obviously we haven't uh, Brienne wasn't in the first episode at all, so you can almost take it to the bank. She'll be in this one because Jamie's there. But I did like I caught I caught that as soon as as soon as you realize that Bran was sending uh, Sam to tell John. So when, and that, so then because of what he had said that I'm waiting for an old friend, then you knew it had to be Jamie. You just knew. I knew it had not. I mean, some people I think missed that. I knew it had to be Jamie because it made sense at that point, and also because we already saw what's his uh, Nick, Nikolai Costa Walden or whatever. We saw his name in the cast, so we knew he was in the episode. But it was, also, it was mostly because of the way Bran said that it's like I'm waiting for an old friend, and then it would make sense. Always, oh, he's, he's he's waiting for Jamie uh, because that's how you know, which makes perfect sense. It's a nice bookend. Episode one ended with him being pushed out the window by Jamie. And that in episode one of the final season ends with him waiting for Jamie to arrive in Winterfell. So there's a there's a lot of symmetry actually. There's a lot of symmetry with even the, you know with the unsolided everybody marching in kind of as a correlation to Robert and everybody coming to Winterfell in the first episode. Uh, Arya and John and you know I think John ki- uh, kissing Bran too on the forehead was uh, and different things. And I think there's just a I think they did a real nice job trying to do symmetry. Uh, Going back to episode, the first episode, and now the first, the last first episode we ever get. The only thing that I wanted to talk about, I saw this on Collider, Collider, which has some good stuff, but they didn't exactly have their A team working here. They had Roca on, which is cool, but most of the other car- the people they had on, I don't know. I still wouldn't say it's their A their team, but they talked about 
they were doing their post uh, episode review, and somebody threw out there, and they said, and they and they, cl- they backtracked a little bit to try to make it sound like they were joking later on in the segment, but everybody bought into it right away, and it kind of bugged me because it's so blatantly untrue. It has nothing that they kind of in, somebody kind of you know asserted that the real reason Jon Snow's claim to the Iron Throne, not that he really wants it, but he, but based on pure logistics and lodge and that John's claim is more legitimate than Daenerys has to do with patriarchy. And it has nothing to do with that. It's just the way succession goes. John is the heir to the throne because he is the last legitimate offspring of the crown prince, who was Rhaegar. Rhaegar was the heir to the Mad King's throne. He has no more legitimate children alive except for Jon Snow. That's why John. John John, that's why that's why John, because he's the son of the Crown Prince, while Danny is only the last surviving sibling of the Crown Prince. Wouldn't matter if Danny was a guy. Could if Danny's brother was the one doing this, if she's the one who died in season one, God, that would have been a mess. That uh, he would have, he would not have any. His claim would be just as he would be behind Jon Snow. So if you want to look at it from the English monarchy perspective, the Mad King is Queen Elizabeth, Prince Charles is Rhaegar. And Prince William, let's just say he only had one son, Prince Charles, in this scenario, that and or whatever, one son survived to sorts of matters. That would be that would be Jon Snow would be Prince William, and Danny's like Prince Charles's brother, Prince Andrew. Until he had kids, yeah, he was a, he was the second in line to the throne. So if something happened to Prince uh, Prince uh, Charles, yeah, it's me. Once he had his kids, okay, now I'm behind the kids. Once Prince Charles's kids had kids, which Shortly, both of his kids will have kids of their own. Then, yeah, you're still in the line of succession. You're just pushed way the hell back. So it's the same concept, except. But Danny's claim is secondary to John's because John, John is the son of the crown prince, or it would be the daughter of the crown prince. It doesn't matter. The last surviving offspring, and he's Danny's just no more than Rhaegar's sister. And that's so. That's that's the reason why. It has nothing to do with. Patriarchy at all. It just has to do with that's the way succession succession goes. That kind of bugged me because it's like, and people just ate it up. Like, so it's like, and then they talked about it more. And I think that was an agenda why they why they said that. The person who said it said it, but it was like, no, that has nothing to do with it. So that just kind of bugged me. So I knew I wanted to say that no matter what we talked about today. (laughs) All right. Um. Anything else? I don't think so, is there? Uh, I don't think so. I'm going to make an announcement, obviously, um, since we're so close to it, but yeah. You announce away, since obviously I think I know where we're going with this now. I don't have a promo yet as we record this, but I may have one by the time this episode releases, so stay tuned after the credits, uh, just in case. Um, actually, well, before I do that, uh, next episode you will hear in this feed will be the next episode of Creative Credit, episode three. And it'll be featuring Zach Kaplan, who is the creator of Eclipse, uh, as well as Port of Earth, um, uh, as, as well as a bunch of other things. We get into it, we talk about it. And uh, I ask him a question related to DC, and his answer is Green Lantern related. So. You know, if you're looking for a reason to listen, Green Lantern fans, definitely give it a shot. But for those of you who don't know, this year, LanternCast is in charge of J.L. May. And we have a bunch of people participating with us. The podcast of Oa, 
Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, The Idle Head of Diablo, Fire and Water Podcast, Head Speaks, Coffee and Comics Podcast, Long Box Crusade, Waiting for Doom, Task Force X, Justice's First Dawn, Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, as well as the Dr. DC Podcast and Feathers and Foes, which is, uh, I believe is just called the Birds of Prey Podcast now, um, will all be participating in JL May this year in covering Blackest Night. That is correct. It has been 10 years since Blackest Night started releasing. And as the JLMA celebration, we're taking this moment to look back on the event as a whole. Now, will every single issue of Blackest Night-related material be covered? No. But we're trying to get as close as we can to it. So, every single issue of the main series of Blackest Night will be covered. Blackest Night 0 through number 8. A couple of the GL issues will be covered here and there. The um, Doom Patrol issues, Suicide Squad issues, Justice League issues, JSA issues, uh, Booster Gold issues, Secret Six, Suicide Squad. Um, there's uh, there's a couple others here and there. Forgive me, I, I've, I've been kind of going back and forth on this the whole way. I don't have it all stuck in my head. Uh, is all going to be taken care of. Uh, the Starman issue will be covered. Um, stuff like that. Those will all be covered, and I'm obviously still trying to find some more people to kind of join in last minute if they want to cover like the Batman miniseries or the S- Superman miniseries, Wonder Woman, Flash, Titans, that sort of stuff. Um, but the main series of Blackest Night will be covered in between everybody else sort of talking about their memories of the event and things like that. You're just going to get a good encapsulation of uh, Blackest Night 10 years later. Uh, it all starts on the very last day of April with the uh, podcast of Oa, and it ends on the very last day of May with us at the Lantern Cast. Yeah, people. It's going to be good. Finally, it is. It's going to be a lot of fun. Finally, a from our perspective, a really one of the better events in general to to have been covered in JL May, um, since some of them have not exactly been awe-inspiring. And it's kind of hard not to say Blackest Night as an event was pretty awesome. Well, it's 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 very it's I'll, I'll give you that in, in in the way that it it's very difficult to to find. Uh, people who despise Blackest Night. Uh, some people out there don't like it because, not, not necessarily because of the story, but because of the fact that it was it's yet another massive DC event. There are some people who just don't like the massive crossovers uh, that any company does and just despises them for that reason. We have covered uh, JLA Year One, which I personally enjoyed. It was very Silver Agey. Uh, that was kind of cool. The uh, We have covered Justice for JL May, um, that was cool and nostalgic for some reason for some people because you have Alex Ross doing art and you know there's there's some more sort of classic feel there. Silver Age I was a little iffy about because Silver Age I was not really um, 100% on board with uh, the and and I don't mean just the Green Lantern issue I'm talking about the whole thing felt a little more comedic and wonky for me just in general i think i might have mentioned that in our coverage but obviously we're taking a big leap forward here with blackest night some people weren't on board with it so they won't be participating this year and that's totally fine it's up to people if they want to participate or not but we are completely on board with everybody we just mentioned and all 
uh, well, I guess total nine. All nine issues of the Blackest Night series, zero through eight, are completely handled and being covered, and a bunch of other people are picking up other issues based on their interests in their podcasts. So feel free to listen in. Uh, check out lanterncast.com for more information. Uh, stay tuned to future episodes. I am working on a promo as we speak, um, but whether that'll be ready by Friday or the next episode, who knows? There will be a promo, though, so keep your ears out for that. So, yeah, um, next episode in this feed, Creative Credit, Episode 3. Keep your ears out for Blackest Night uh, JL May material. Uh, And then the episode, the Lantern Cast episode after this will be, what, do we know yet? We think we know, but just in case, we about probably shouldn't say it. Just in case we, have, or in case we have any issues—no pun intended—getting getting the issues and/or recording what we want in time to do. So it probably won't sure. be a problem, but we we still obviously have some dis, some finalizing of discussions. So that's the only reason why I think we should be continue the crypticness of my of my sentences and just say, yeah, we're gonna hold off on saying what's next, uh, just in case. But, but we have a plan. And uh, by the way, guys, if you're listening to this out there and you know someone who is uh, – and here I'm being very specific. If you know someone out there with a Superman, Batman, uh, Wonder Woman, Flash, or Titans podcast, any of those five, and uh, you think they might be interested in participating in JL May, have them reach out to us. And Mark, speaking of reaching out to us, how can people do that? Cute, Chad. Very cute. Lanterncast at gmail.com. Their website is lanterncast.com. Facebook and Twitter. You can use hashtag GLCast to locate us on those. iTunes and Stitcher. Whichever platform you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. Last but not least, our voicemail is 708Lantern. And speaking of which, yes, Jesse, if you listen to this episode, especially if you listen to it all the way through, God bless you. But, uh, yes, we got your voicemail. We just, because we, all the topics we knew we were going to discuss this week, we figured we would push the voicemail back to an episode that we kind of already, we kind of knew this episode would probably be around two hours. So that's the main reason why. But we're definitely going to do feedback in the next recorded episode we do of Lantern Cast proper. And let, 708 Lantern, let us know what you think. All right, but mostly, guys, if you know someone out there who wants to participate in Black and <laughs> uh, JLMA's Blackest Night coverage, email lanterncast at gmail dot com. Twitter, I'm on every day, so that might be a good idea. But just for official purposes, lanterncast at gmail dot com. And for those who bailed on this event, we know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.